This is a Hoff Studios podcast. So I want to give people context and introduce you. This is Alina Pavlidis. How do I sp- say your last name? I want to make sure I pronounce it correctly. I mean, if you're a Greek, you would say Pavlidis. But here Pavlidis. you can say it in whichever way you like. <laughs> Alina yes, is... That's good. Was the, when I'm, she is a Greek goddess. She is a human potential expansion, feminine, blossoming leader and coach. She hosts amazing retreats in Greece on her family's land, which is just... I can't even describe it to you. It's unbelievable. We will get into how we met in just a few minutes. But you were born in Paris and you now live between... Greece and Mexico and LA. Congratulations on LA. You added a new city in the mix. I know. Unexpected. Very unexpected. So we met about life does have its own way. Just like how we met. We met six years ago. I love this story. Um, We were sitting at a cafe in Bali And I was on a solo trip and you were on a solo journey as well. And we were just sitting across from each other at this picnic table. And I had this, I don't know, a tank top on with like big giant boobs (laughs) spilling out of them because I was pregnant, like three months pregnant on my solo trip to Bali. And Alina (laughs) will tell you, she was like, who is this girl with these big fake boobies? Like I am over here, namasteing it up. And she had no idea that I was just pregnant. And so we both were just like kind of checking each other out. And I started conversation and she was a little reluctant at first, but we literally became besties on that trip and moved into the same Airbnb by the end of it. And it's been just love forever since. (laughs) What an adventure that was. So amazing how when you just open to the field, the right people come into your life, right? Totally. Um, when I met you, you also, I think by the end of the week, you were like, you know, I'm thinking about launching this retreat, but like, I'm scared and I'm not sure. And I was like, well, what is it? You're like, well, I have a website for it, but it's not published. And she showed me this website. It was gorgeous. Her brother had taken these amazing photos of their family's home there in Greece. And there was aerial shots professional photography. And I was like, you have to publish this. You need to push go and send this out to your newsletter now. And like literally right there in the cafe, we published that website. You sent the newsletter out and you have not looked back. And I just tell us about, right? I remember we were sitting in I forget what it's called, but that place that has the jackfruit yeah, tacos. Yeah, yeah. Super I can famous. See it. I can just see We're every sitting detail in the window. Yes. Yeah. So I mean it's tell so me, fascinating. Isn't that tell me what the tell me how the retreats have blossomed and what they mean to you now? I mean, things what what I love about this is just it in the beginning of anything, we're always in so much self-doubt and self-criticism of, oh, who am I to even do this, you know? And there you were just mirroring back another potential for me where, no, you can do this. Like, why would you not, you know? And from there, it's evolved into 
exactly, you know, what it's meant to be in a very organic way. So it wasn't so much planned. You know, I never said, oh, in six years, I'll be doing, you know, seven retreats per year, which I now do. Wow. Uh, it was just like, I'll just do one and maybe one person shows up, you know, and then, you know, after two weeks, after sending out that email, I just sold out and I was so surprised, you know, it was like, people actually want to come. Oh, that's, that's strange. You know, I was surprised myself. And now the retreats have, um, have turned, well, I have three different retreats now. One is, um, to bring women back to their power. Um, and for me, that comes from open a heart, activated Yoni and connected back to that intuition, to that inner knowing that the knowledge doesn't come from outside, but that it all comes from within. So we work on with different practices to really activate that um, and to just remember it. Because we all know that, you know, as kids, we all had somewhat answers and we knew we would say yes, no, very with a lot of certainty. Like I'm imagining Samaya now who's just, you know, she's a little boss. She's a little boss. And she knows exactly what she wants. That. You know, we've all been that, but at some point we've been told, no, no, you don't know. The teacher knows. So just obey to that. So yeah, the, one of the retreats is around bringing people back into that, uh, women particularly then. Um, another retreat works more with um, the magic land of plants. And that is a very special um, retreat, very healing in a very small very small container, usually four people maximum and two facilitators to use old practices to bring you back to your center energetically, mentally, emotionally, and then working with a plant from a place of being really centered and not scared of meeting other parts of yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. And the third part of retreat is the reset retreat for people who are kind of like facing a wall in their lives. Or a lot of people in the last years have been questioning their life path, you know, what the heck am I doing here on earth? Um, type of decisions, you know, what, what, am I, am I right to be following this co corporate path or is this right for me? And so this retreat helps people to let go of some of the layers of fear and of just the character that we build for ourselves our whole lives. I mean, myself, I was a strategy consultant for five years before before meeting you in Bali <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, right before. I was really, yeah. And I was just so anchored into that role, you know, that it felt like that's who I am. And it felt almost ridiculous before doing the jump to think I would be teaching anything that I'm teaching now. Um, so yeah. Give us that's, a, paint that's a picture, paint a picture of what your life was like before and how you exited it and why. Like it was a spiritual awakening of, I think, the starkest ones that you could visually. I mean, there's a before after picture of you in like all black pencil skirts, closed toed black heels, like very office um, woman who is not the picture that we see before us now, who's embraced the Greek goddess, the healer within the natural essence of who Alina that we witnessed today. It's just such a stark contrast. So can you paint a picture of what that career was like and who you were then and what led up to 
deciding to quit and how hard was that to decide to quit and who you had to let down and people's perceptions. And I know that it was really difficult for the people in your life, your friends to understand what was happening. So how did that all occur? Yeah, that's a really good question. Thank you. Well, I think the version of me before was very much into, there was like a right way of doing things, like a successful way of doing things. And then there was a way that was not so good. And so I went into, uh, I went to a top university, you know, finished and top, you know, but but anyway, all of that. Um, And the leaving college, I I didn't really know actually what I wanted to do, but my only anchor point was what it was, what was correct to do compared mm-hmm. to what, what other people in my surrounding were doing. Exactly. And um, everyone in my class went into, you know, investment banking or consulting pretty much. And I remember at the time I was actually um, contemplating launching my own business and the topic of yoga, although at this point I was not so knowledgeable, I still had had very strong experiences of my body of, of, in my body of yoga. And I couldn't tell what it was, nor anybody could tell me what it was. So I didn't really think much of it. I thought I might have like a nervous system issue or something like that. Cause I was experiencing these like rushes of energy and I would faint and I'd be like, your Kundalini rising. Yeah. Yeah. And I asked several doctors about it. They're like, Oh, you must not, maybe you're not eating enough before class. So you're just fainting. And, you know, and I was like, okay, I guess that must be it. So anyway, yoga was still, it had a flavor in the background of my life, but I had kind of just denied it. I was like, okay, I don't know what this is. I'm just locking it in there. And my boyfriend at the time, um, when I said, I'm thinking to open a yoga studio in Greece at the time, he said, oh, what are you going to be a yoga instructor? You're so smart. You need to go into consulting. And uh, and at the time I kind of said, yeah, I guess you're right. You know? And I went through this process of just interviewing that just felt really, you know, looking back, it felt really off. I remember just jogging and trying to tell myself, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. And it just didn't feel right at all. You know, it didn't feel like my heart wasn't blossoming. I wasn't thinking like, wow, I'm going to love this job. It was just, you got to push through it. You know, this is how it is. You got to be competitive. You got to get it. And so I was really in this mindset of kind of fighting myself because I guess I couldn't, I didn't know how to hear myself really. Um, and then when I started going into consulting, the first year, I remember going home and crying so often. I was like, I'm, I would come home at midnight, just exhausted, drained from being on the computer nonstop in an office where I was the only woman it was just French men in Paris uh, who were very rigid. If you would laugh in that office, everybody would look at you like, what are you wow. doing? It was just pure silence. No one would speak. And it was just, you could hear that. Everyone on Excel and PowerPoint, you know? Oof. And um, so I would just come home and, and just cry and be like, is this what my life is going to be like? Is this what adults grow up to be? You know? And, Everyone seemed to be content around me about what I was doing. My Everyone was like, and my parents never had really particular expectations of what I should do, but still they, they, they seemed to think that was a good job. And I was like, okay, yes. I mean, I am working with big multinationals with CEOs and I'm just 21 giving them advice and I have no fucking clue. 
Um, and then, yeah, after two years and a half of that, you know, you get, you get used to the character. So I was actually starting to enjoy it more and to feel more into the character of that, you know, just even wearing these clothes every Mm -hmm. day, just puts you a bit into a box of wearing these shirts and these tight pants and all of that. It just, you start getting into the groove, you start being used to that. And, uh, the hours also, you get used to sacrificing your life. So if you finish every night, yeah, it becomes like, a total it. lifestyle. Yeah. It's like you, you forget that there's another way of doing things. Like it didn't even cross my mind that I could be living life differently. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was like coming. It, 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 it was hard to even think there was another way, honestly, at that point. Um, and also I think because all my friends were living similar lifestyles. So none of us were thinking, Hey, you're working too much. Like, are you doing anything on Christmas? I'm like, yeah, I'm on my computer. It's Christmas day. (laughs) Um, but anyway, even then I had a moment where I actually, I felt like, no, that's not what I meant to do. And I quit my job. And that's kind of a fascinating uh, moment because I quit my job and I was going to move to Hong Kong to start a new life. I just felt like, I have no idea what I'm going to do, but I need to do something completely different. So I left the job and the summer happened and I was supposed to move in September. And then right there, something happened in my personal life that made me go back to the job. And my firm was like, oh, why don't you come just for three months, just three months with us? I said, okay. And that ended up being another three years at the same firm. Um, And so it's just, it's interesting. I feel like sometimes we have those windows of clarity and we walk into them, but the tiniest little doubt or potential to go back to comfort, we kind of run back, you know? And for me, it was Mm -hmm. this thing that I'm not really running back. It's just three months. I'm giving myself a bit of time, but three months very quickly becomes much more, you know? And then eventually, um, It came to a point that I felt like I had done, I was not challenged anymore by those crazy hours. And at this point I was traveling every week, at least to three, three countries. And it wasn't like three countries near to each other. It'd be like, go to Colombia and I go to Russia and I go to London, you know? And I felt that was normal, but I was constantly on a plane, jet lagged. You would run into a hotel at night. You didn't have a life because you had to have dinners with the clients. And I became kind of hypnotized into that thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing it, you know, I'm doing it. (laughs) And, um, mentally, I think, you know, I was so engaged in the very demanding job that I didn't really have time to ask myself any question about it. Now, interestingly enough, I think this is a great gift that all of us women have, but right before my, um, my moon days, right before I would bleed every month, that's the moment that I had doubts. And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Like, is, is this really what I want? Is this what I'm meant to be doing to sell cars online in China? Um, and that, you know, every month it was kind of coming as a, Hey, are you sure? And then, you know, the hormones would kick back up and I would be like, okay, I forget about my doubts. I put them back into the closet where they belong. Until, until one day I, I was late in a yoga class in London after a long week of traveling and I got to the studio Friday night 
and I was 10 minutes late and they said, oh no, you can't come in. And at this point, it just hit me like, I'm a slave to a lifestyle and it's taking away from what I actually want to do. This is the the one thing I've been wanting to do all week is go to this freaking yoga class. Mm -hmm. And because I was running from an airport, I, I have to sacrifice that. And so in this moment, I didn't leave the studio. I actually said, I'm going to do my own yoga in the closet, in the, where you change in the changing room. And I started just writing on this notepad that I have, like, what would I do in my life if I wasn't scared and if I wasn't a slave? And that was the beginning for me of just completely shifting from this, like very, okay, I'm going to do things as it's coming from outside. Yeah, that's pretty much, you know, that was the picture and of the so, before, I think, and this was the pivotal moment. And what's interesting is like, even though you were doing this thing that was super uncomfortable in the beginning, you start to get, what happens is that you start to normalize it. You start to get confident in it. Your ego gets stroked because you're so good at it. Oh, look, mm. you're a natural. Look at you, just 21, 22, 23 years old with clients who are double your age consulting and like the ego takes over. And you know, it's, it's the ego is necessary. It's not kill the ego and, you know, sell all your belongings and disappear off the earth. But when you like move so much into the place of ego that you're overriding your desires and your nervous system, then it is in control. Yeah. Right. And that's essentially where you were. And so what then led to the point where, you, so it was the yoga class, you were journaling. I love that prompt that you gave yourself because it's one of the prompts that I do with people when I first meet them is I put them into a meditative state of state. And I ask them like, if, if money, time, fear, skill, space wasn't an option, had no, you know, context here, what would you do mm -hmm. then? And it just gives you such permission to really write and speak from the soul. And so it's amazing that you intuitively found that. And I do think you hit the nail on the head when you say women, like we have this innate ability, this intuition is so much more prevalent in us than it is in m men mostly. And um, I used to experience the same thing on my cycle. I was in this insanely toxic relationship for six years. And every time I would start, I was about to start my moon, my period people, that's what that is. Um, I would call <laughs> my mom frantically crying and she would listen to me for 45 minutes. And then she would ask, um, so do you think you might be about to start your period? And I would be like, oh, <laughs> Probably. And then they'd like hang up the phone. And I'd call her the next time. Like, everything's fine. I started my period. You were right. And, but I look back and although during your, right before your moon cycle, your, your, your emotions are extremely heightened. I do think it's valuable and important to pay attention to what is heightened, you know, because we do have that ability to suppress them for, mm -hmm. let's say 25 days of the month, you know, but there is that point where your hormones really speak for you and allow you to see the truth. And even if it is a heightened experience, it's almost like its own little ayahuasca journey, right? It's like its own little plant medicine where you see the shadows of your entire life. And so we'll get, I feel like later we'll get into like the, the yoni and the moon cycle and the conversation around that work with the female embodiment 
um, because I think it's going to be really valuable for people to tap into. But what ended up happening after you expressed this, what would I do if I wasn't? How long did it take for you to leave this job? And like, from what point was that till I met you in Bali? Because still when Bali, you didn't really know. I met you were like, I don't know. I'm just living day by day. And I'd never met anybody. It's amazing because when you describe who you just described, I had honestly never met anybody, even in Bali, like there's healers and yoga teachers and all that. Not, I mean, sure. I'm now it's probably magnified times a thousand, the healers and the the yogis and the coaches, right? But back then, still, I had been there for already like five days. I'd been there before. I'd been to Tulum. I'd been to like places. And I was I was a yoga teacher already at that point. So I'd been in the space of wellness and healing and the woo, right? But I'd never met anybody who was like literally so like, I don't know, I'm literally just taking it day by day and I'm totally okay with that. It's such a stark contrast to like the person that you just described. So how long did that take for you to arrive there? And what made you decide, I'm going to go to Bali and just live day by day? Yeah, that's the... Well, it's, it's very interesting, actually. That moment that I described, um, the first thing I wrote on my list is I want to study more yoga because I'm just fascinated by yoga and I feel it in my body that strong things are happening. So that's and the first also, thing I wrote. I want to give people context. Your mom is also a dancer. So this like runs in your DNA yeah. and a healer. And she's a, was she a ballet dancer or a classical dance? She was a contemporary ballet dancer in, in French. She's she still dances. I've seen it on their Instagram. Like it's beautiful. Like you get it from your mama. So it was also this thing that I feel like the arts and the dance and connection to your soul, even if your parents at that point, I'm sure it's different now, now that you've brought this all into their home. Right. And you're probably on like a family journey of healing now, but I'm sure even then, um, there was something intuitive that your parents had passed down to you and you just didn't, your whole family just didn't quite know it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I feel like it's, it has been a family journey indeed. Like it's like when one gives permission, when you give permission, sorry, when you give permission to yourself, you give permission to every person around you. And that's really what I observed Mm -hmm. with the shift because my entire team I'd work quit within six months. So much that the, the partner at the office would call it, are you pulling an Alina move? Because everybody went and did, you know, open an art gallery. The other person went and played wow. guitar and helped the friends, you know, just everybody went and like really moved into their own thing. So the same kind of happened, I think, on a family level that a lot of things got normalized. Um, but to answer the initial question... So I, I wrote first thing on my list that I wanted to study more um, yoga and the first... The type of yoga I was attracted to initially was Jiva Mukti Yoga. So I, I went home that day and I looked up when is the next training. And the next training was in three months and two days. And at the time I was on a French contract in the UK. So I would have to quit on Monday. Uh, that was Friday. I would have to quit on Monday in order to make it. And that would be like, you know, I would have to fly the day that my job ends. So I did that. I just showed up to the office on Monday and happened that the partner from Paris was in London that day. And I say, hey, we got to talk. And I said, um, I'm going to take a year to do everything I've ever wanted to do in my life. And I have no idea what I'm going to be doing. And after that, I'll do an MBA in a year. 
And I think that that bit was very reassuring for my ego because my ego would have completely freaked out to think, oh, I'm just going to be a hippie and just hang out and explore. I, I was not ready for that. So I gave myself a safe container. I gave my mind a safe container to act. And that's how I was able to be like, plan is no plan. Yes to life. And those became mm. my two mentors during that year slash now six years of <laughs> exploration, uh, almost seven years that I really gave a safe container for the mind initially until my mind got used to realizing that the more I relaxed into life, the more miracles would happen. So the more I would be plan is no plan, plans that were even better than my mind could ever conceive started coming into my field. Um, so yeah, it started with that intention of just doing anything that I want to do and giving myself permission to just really do that. I was like, you know, I've, I've never done that. I've always gone to school, you know, we're studied so much, worked so much. Let's do one year of play. Um, but the, the funny thing with the universe, when you start saying, when you say, yes, I'm willing to really explore things will, will start moving with a great velocity that I didn't expect. You know, I thought, okay, I'm just quitting my job. I'm still going to have the same boyfriend and still have my apartment in London, and I travel a bit, you know. No, no, no. The second I said, okay, I'm willing, the universe said, okay, so we're going to take away all the stuff that's holding you back. And so my relationship, you know, just vanished, although we were, you know, planning for a future together. Um, the house in London, just everything kind of vanished. And there are moments of great despair in that where I was like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, I've, I have no idea what I'm going to do tomorrow. There's just no plans at all. And so when you met me in Bali, that was about seven months after, you know, that last day at the office. And I had already, you know, been traveling and just in a way, what was more scary at that point was other people mere, um, asking me what I was going to do. You're like, oh, but what are you doing? And I would be like, no fucking clue. Mm -hmm. So I would just say as a joke response, plan is no plan. Yes to life. And that really like actually guided me and, and allowed me to anchor into just trusting in life. So beautiful. Um, I mean, even looking back, I feel like that must have been actually so reaffirming to me because at the place in, I, the place in my life that I was at, I was three months pregnant in Bali, starting a mala jewelry company. Remember, that was my mission. Every day we would re-meet at the end of the day after you'd go off on yeah. your yogic healing adventures. And I would go off with the guys. Well, I was first I was searching for the materials and then the artist, and then I found them and I was having them make the jewelry. And it was just like such an adventure every day. Um, and then we would meet at the end of the day and have like a really amazing foodie experience and maybe a yoga class and then dinner. It was just so fun. But I, I can actually look back and, and think, oh, wow, what a seed that you must have planted. Because even in that space, three months pregnant, I was on an entrepreneurial journey to create something. And there was definitely not very much plan in my life. We were living between Miami, New York, and LA, which was with what was about to be an infant. And I really ended up having to live on plan, no plan. And I'm sure subconsciously that gave me 
the ability to do it. Looking back, I think like that's how we impacted each other. What a magical moment that was for us both. Mm. It was like the seed of the new life, really. We both birthed so much in that little moment, you know, alongside each other. Um, so after you launch this amazing retreat, it ends up turning into a series where you, and you end up starting to go to Tulum, right? You, how did you make it to Tulum and how did you end up continually coming back there and calling it your season, a seasonal home? Yeah. So, I mean, I had never even heard of Tulum and it kind of just called me really intensely. Um, I was, you know, in, in that field of plan is no plan. I'm having fun with life. And I would, at this point I was really relaxed with it because I could see that every time I was not making a plan and not trying to force a decision, but allowing the moment of decision to come at the time that it had to occur. Um, and then somebody from my circle say, Oh, we're going to Tulum in January. And I just said, Oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do that too. And I'm going to take that as an opportunity to explore uh, Latin America. So in my head, I was like, I'm going to be in Tulum and then I'll just travel. (laughs) Yeah. I'll travel Guatemala, Nicaragua, just, you know, have fun. And, you know, I get to Tulum and it's just this series of magical events that happened and I just couldn't leave. It was, it was this bizarre thing that every time I was about to leave, somebody was like, oh no, you have to stay for this event. And I was like, okay, I'll stay two more days. And and it ended up being four months. And at the end, one of my closest friends had to fly from one. And he was like, what the fuck are you doing in Mexico? <laughs> like, have we lost you? Um, and well, Tulum is a very particular place. Energetically, it really carries a very rapid transformative energy. So when you go to Tulum, even, you know, people on holidays, I think experience this, it's, it just, it accelerates all the things within you that need to be seen. And that is, you know, fears, shadows, all of it, and also bliss. So you have moments of incredible bliss um, in that space, but you also have really intense moments. So Tulum for me was this place where I was just in a deep, contemplative, learning, playful uh, space. And then Actually, with time, I um, I mean, quite rapidly, I guess, I, I came across um, a Mayan lineage there who lived a few hours away from Tulum, and I connected very deeply with them. And so I've been studying with them uh, ever since. And I think that's truly what really called me to Tulum, other than um, creating incredible uh, friendships and, of course, learning so much about myself in that place. So yeah, I think that's kind of how Tulum uh, happened. And then I kept on coming back and having the summer, the summer, spring, summer, and autumn in Greece, where it would be the place where I would share back the knowledge that I would learn in the winter in, in Mexico and through, throughout, you know, I, I did move quite a bit, although Mexico is a bit of a base. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's how that's the story with with Tulum, and I'm just so grateful for Tulum. I mean, I learned so much from the, these Mayan people, particularly, and that's a lot of stuff that now I'm 
able to share in the in the retreats and just myself it's transformed me a lot yeah i see that i went we vis- i visited her once and so i got to spend time with the people that you were spending time with and it was just so short but i could really see now looking at like the arc of what happened next how you would really go in and almost you know, unbecome all the things that you needed to unbecome from mm-hmm. the, the, the belief systems you had and the place you, you grew up and what you should be doing, right. Societal expectations, family expectations. And then you would deep di- dive deep into your own personal healing. But I also remember you just being surrounded by really beautiful, wise, older, people who'd been doing this work for longer. And I feel like you were so good at being present and really just absorbing your, absorbing what was around and submitting yourself to that wisdom. And now I can totally see how that makes sense, how you would come and embody it, integrate it and give back in your retreats in Greece. So what is some of, I know that a lot of the female embodiment work and the Yoni wisdom and that really came from, was birthed kind of in Tulum with the workshops that you were going to and the experiences that you were having. Um, Tell us what that retreat is like and what does it tell us about the Yoni? What If people don't know about their Yoni, what is it? And heart space. I feel like as yoga teachers, we're like, open your heart. And I literally had a man say to me once, I had a guy say, cause that was like a, literally a, a phrase that I would say like in like warrior one. And I'd be like, you know, lift your arms to the sky and open your heart, drop your shoulders back. And a guy came up to me and he's like, what does it mean to open your heart? I don't understand. And so let's dive into like, what is a yoni? What is opening your heart space? Like people might not actually know. I feel like sometimes when we're immersed in this spiritual language, it's, it might be, you know, understandable in a philosophical way, but in a real way, like, what does that mean to live from a heart open heart space with a connection to your sacred divinity as a woman with all our parts that we have to bring Mm. in actual creation. We're a portal, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a very good question. Cause I think had, had I heard myself years ago, I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Exactly. Um, So I think when I was there, I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's like a specific lingo for sure. Um, the the female work for me kind of just came from people that kept on just asking me about these things. And I think it, it's become so important in my life just because myself, I was in a very masculine environment at the office. You know, I was the only woman at an office uh, except for the woman who is the secretary. And I didn't understand that I had superpowers at the time. And interestingly, when I quit the job, I asked the partner um, at the company, it was like, why do you always call me in my off- in your office since I'm an analyst to ask me random questions? Because he would always be like, hi, Lena, can you come? what do you think about this? And I would be like, I have no fucking clue. I haven't researched shit. And he'd be like, no, just like this. What do you, what do you think about it? 
And uh, he told me, well, women, you, you guys just know. And it was so interesting for me to, you know, realize other people had been aware of my superpower, but that somehow I didn't know that was a superpower because it was so innate to me that I wasn't even aware of it. And once I really started to understand that, and that was just the tip of the iceberg because the powers that we have as women and men are also incredibly powerful in other ways. Um, I was just like, oh my God, you know, I just want to bring people back into those centers. And so the heart is the most powerful electromagnetic center of the body. When the heart goes like this, your entire aura just shuts down. And, you know, in, in, um, in many traditions, we say the heart is the seat of the mind. In other words, if my seat is like this comfortable, you know, you're going to be relaxed and chilled. The mind is going to be like gentle, non-attacking, beautiful thoughts. Now, the second you're like this, the thoughts are going to be more bitter. You're going to have more accusations, more judgment, and so on and so forth. So the more relaxed the heart is, and that's just literally this sense of, you know, warmth of just expansion, of non-contraction every time. And you can observe it in your own life. You know, every time you talk to somebody and you feel you need to defend yourself slightly, or you're expecting that something bad is going to happen, you just shut down a little bit like this. And in the chest, often I remember I used to have my shoulders completely like this, you know, and now it's just like wide open, but we just develop these muscles of constant uh, self-defense in our lives, in, you know, just in our relationships at the office, we're constantly feeling threatened because we're in such a, a state of constant threat, um, threat, stress, sorry, that um, the nervous system is constantly feeling like, and the heart is just contracting as a result of that. And then on the mind level, what that creates is we start having these very narrow ways of uh, functioning you know the if you observe the brain patterns of the the patterns of the brain when we're in a state of stress it's simply repeating known patterns we're not going into anything new we're not going into um creating anything else we're not even able to imagine something other than what we already know so if we're aware of that then we're aware that when we're stressed out we're actually just living our lives in a very tiny a little loop. And if we are aware of that, then we can be like, okay, I'm stressed. The cost of being stressed, is not worth, uh, it's just not worth it. There's no benefit in me putting myself in these states. And then you can choose to not compromise yourself at the office, whatever the situation is in your personal life, there is no compromising your own personal state because every time you do, you start narrowing your life you narrow your auric field, you narrow your field of perception, and you just narrow the areas of your brain that you can use. So there's just zero benefit. You know, it's like you get in a car accident, you can't think, you're just like frozen. You're like, uh, papers, I don't know, pa- yes, papers, you know, and then hours later, you're like, wait, that was actually my fault. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but in the moment, you're so frozen um, that you can't even think. So I think our responsibility as humans is to learn for one how to relax the heart and how through relaxing the heart then the whole mind opens and we can start using all the both hemispheres of the brain all parts of the brain and um 
actually start building a life very intentionally. That's not just a micro, um, it's just living in a microcosmos of patterns that we've been experiencing since childhood. Yeah. It's like autopilot. It takes you out of autopilot and allows you to think about what is possible. What could be, it puts you into a creative thinking space, you know, um, ruminating thoughts occur on this level because you're in survival mode essentially. So what are some practices that people can do to get them into living in heart space? And what does that look like? Because, you know, it's like, okay, well, I, I don't know if I have a closed heart. Like, I think I'm open-minded. Like people think they're open-minded and they think that's an open heart space. But I think that it's, for me, open heart space means vulnerability, right? And what does vulnerability look like? I feel like, oh, like for years ago, I told the whole internet on Instagram live that I was bulimic and that I battled with bulimia. And I thought that was vulnerability, but in actuality, it was like performance vulnerability and like actual vulnerability is being able to admit when I'm wrong, not be triggered, witness people, um, witness myself, witness my fears, live in a space that is more intimate with people that generally trigger me, right? Like allowing them to see my flaws. So, but that's taken a lot of work and it's taken years to really come to the understanding of what living in an open heart space is and like how I had walls up and where I had walls up. Perfectionism was like my greatest defender of my heart. You know, it was like, everything must be perfect. And (laughs) the visual, the aesthetic was like how I defended that heart space. So how can people tap into having an open heart? I mean, there's like the physical sensation of opening your heart space, which is like so important. It's like definitely the beginning of like noticing your actual posture. Um, but what else can people, what are other tools that people can utilize to really relinquish those walls? Yeah. I mean, I think there are several components, components to that. The first one is to be able to experience, and perhaps at first you will experience just a tiny, tiny glimpse, but to allow that to be your anchor. It's kind of like you find a tiny, um, sand, tiny piece of sand that's made of gold, of light, and you just like hang on to that. Regardless of what's moving around, you just focus on that. So the first bit is to learn to experience that energy, that frequency in a very easy way to, um, tune into that is connecting to gratitude, not necessarily on a mind level. You can start the process by inviting thoughts of a moment that you loved, for example, but it's really bringing it on a cellular level. So you start, you know, you think perhaps of a moment that you're grateful for, and you can do this exercise now. It doesn't have to be big. It can be a moment that you eat a great piece of chocolate. It can be a moment that you're moving your hair and, you know, it just kind of massages your scalp, (laughs) whatever it is. You think of that and you let the sensations just ripple through your whole body of just feeling like, wow, that felt something. And it's kind of, you can also visualize it, you know, as honey dripping on your whole body. And that just, just connecting to that will open the cells. Now, sometimes we might observe that we actually don't really want to connect to a happy place because a lot of us are addicted to sufferings. We're addicted Mm -hmm. to 
being in shitty states because then we can victimize ourselves. Oh, I'm always in shitty relationships. Oh, I always have bad luck with my, you know, boss. Oh, I always have this. I always have that. And then that way we don't have to take responsibility for it. But um, the truth is we're actually losing our power through that. So it's really interesting if we can observe. And I think all of us are kind of guilty for of that at some point that your mind is like, okay, connect to gratitude. And you're like, yeah, no, I'm kind of happy feeling grumpy. You know, so are we exactly. willing is the first question to ask ourselves. Are we really willing to experience a new version of ourselves and of life? Because the second you open the heart and it's really something that, you know, as you said earlier, it's not something you can connect to on a mental space, but it's really something you got to experience. It's as if somebody tells you about the taste of peach. You've never had peach. I can describe it, but as long as you haven't experienced it, you cannot really understand the full uh, experience of it. So the first thing is we can connect to gratitude and that really helps to just relax the heart, the whole body. And then you start feeling this, this place in which there is no space to grab onto um, accusations and judgment and all that. It's just as if it's all honey. There, there's no space for bitterness. You know, it's all sweetness. Mm-hmm. It's very, very sweet space. And, and then we can use that as, as you were talking about vulnerability for me, I describe it perhaps more as, um, just living from a heart space where you're letting go of, you know, petty conflicts. You're letting go in a moment that you're feeling accused, you're allowing yourself to see the pattern as it is. And especially in partnerships and romantic partnerships. I mean, that's where all the shit comes up amplified. Mm -hmm. And so you're actually allowing yourself to dissociate from seeing things. So personally, you just relax the heart and you just watch the conflict as if it's something outside in a way. Right. So it's no longer like a witness. It's just like, okay, there is a situation. How can, what can I do to serve you? And what can I do to serve their relationship? And I think we can only kind of do that when the heart is relaxed. Otherwise the ego is just like. Gnawing. It's like, it's like this eager um, tiger that just, you know, wants to rip the other apart and find satisfaction in that. So I think there is a, a great deal of awareness in every moment for us to know, you know, when am I, when am I feeling that the world is attacking me, that my partner is attacking me, that my emails are attacking me? And the word attack might seem a bit, you know, like an exaggeration, but it's truly how we feel, you know? Every time something goes off, you feel like, oh, the world is against me in a way. Um, so, yeah, I think and it those ha- two- I feel like it happens. It's not like you don't get triggered. I mean, the yeah, yeah, yeah. last night. Last night at midnight, it's like every time I record a go to have a batch of podcast recordings, Samaya will get sick or something always challenges this commitment to show up. In fact, we rescheduled this call last time. I think she was sick or something like that. It was a crazy moment where I, and so last night at midnight, Samaya start woke up screaming saying she couldn't breathe and she had the sniffles and she was crying for 45 minutes. And I said to myself like, Oh my God, every time I have podcast recordings, this happens. Why does this happen? And I moved into that space. And then 
I asked, you know, well, what in me is causing this? Like, has it been my distraction being around her that's draining her energy? Like, have I been stressed out and over planning for tomorrow and she's feeling all that energy? Or is she also sensing me pulling away due to preserving my space and energy for these podcasts, right? So it's something I was able to be an awareness of. And then she she wouldn't take any anything for the um, stuffy nose. I was trying to give her something to relieve her stuffy nose. She wouldn't take it. She said it was gross. And it was just this like 45 minute fight. And I finally spoke to like her higher consciousness instead of being triggered and like fighting with her. Like I had been for like 45 minutes, something in me just snapped out. And I said, you're choosing to suffer. You can take this or you don't have to take this and you could go to sleep. But being awake is not healthy for you. You have to choose one. You choose the medicine. I don't care if you take the medicine or not. I'm not attached. Or choose to go to sleep because it's going to heal you. It always does. But I can't do this anymore. And it was like I took my power back in the moment, you know, where I was like, I'm not going to do this any longer. And I felt like it was coming from this like higher source versus the triggered state of why has this always happened to me? It doesn't matter if it always happens. Of course it happens. It's a natural part of our energetic relationship. When I have something going on, she wants my attention, you know? And so I feel like that was like my, my moment of like living in like true, authentic heart and power and, and connection last night. Prime example. I love it. Yeah. And it, it, as you say, like, it doesn't mean that we don't make decisions or anything like that, but it's just that suddenly you're in a state of, you're not attached, you know, you're not attached to this or that. It's just like, whatever it is, you relax, you breathe, you feel the body just more relaxed. Even if you check in with yourself, is your belly contracted? I think that's a good sign for us to check in in a situation. If the belly is like this, often the heart is like... So soft belly, soft heart, usually they work together and those two are relaxed. The mind is relaxed. And then yeah. we have potential to decide much more wisely. Yeah, it's so beautiful. So I, we have just a few more minutes. I've been asked, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's so fun to connect on a personal level. Yeah. And we have, to, we have to schedule a little FaceTime with Maya too. And a I'm little sure. heart to heart. I want to know what's going on behind the scenes, you know? But um, <laughs> <laughs> when is your next? Give us some dates for the next retreats. When are they coming? So I have not actually set the dates because, you know, plan is no plan. But it's going to be... Um, well, it's also winter May right June. now. I feel like they do. you do it in spring and summer, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, May, June... We're going to have different sessions and then September, October of next year as well. Awesome. So get on her email list. We're going to leave that link in the show notes so that they know. Thank you. Um, I've also been working with an online program now to help women feel themselves in a new way, um, especially when we're in such a heady space with the office. How do, how do you regularly open the heart. And then while well, we kind of, we were about to speak of the Yoni and it's it oh, slipped yeah. away oh, from yeah. us. 
<laughs> the yoni, our, our great um, power center, the yoni, the the pussy and the womb, these very powerful uh, spaces of creation and pleasure in the female body is often a place that we have either structured on in an in, in the nervous system as uh, a place to satisfy others rather than just ourselves or even when we've satisfied ourselves we're again playing with these very small tight loop patterns of um, habits and we actually have so much potential for infinite pleasure as women but we need to retrain ourselves to feel new things in new ways and um, so that's a big big part of um, of the work and then the womb as a place of just wisdom. And Beautiful. I think when we drop Beautiful. into the womb, it's this place of silence, you know, where the, there is no chita vriti, there is no fluctuations of the mind. It's just this deep, it's just like a beautiful cave, you know, just filled with ancient wisdom. I will, we could have a whole other podcast on the Yoni work. I would love to do that. <laughs> we can have a part two, because I feel like it's just a bigger conversation about portal of creation, of ecstasy, of our God-given right to have ecstasy mm. in our lives and what that means. And I really do feel like that's a, a whole broad topic I would love yeah. to dig into because it's something that, one, I think that I'm just beginning to explore. I, before going too far off track, I just, I was so sexual when I was younger and promiscuous, and I've been in a monogamous relationship for coming on 10 years now with Gabe. Wow. And so connecting to ecstasy in not just an orgasm with self-pleasure or with partner, but connecting to ecstasy as a mother and in a home environment that is a very tight loop of habits naturally like it needs to run on systems and it needs to run on a schedule for everybody's health. It's a whole other ball game. And so it's almost like my version of corporate life, even though I'm very satisfied with my life and it's not that boring comparatively, but it is my own version of, you know, consistency and a routine and, and, and habits. And so I would love to really dive in and there will be a part two, I feel like, because I have so many personal questions and just beginning my journey, being in this 10 year relationship, being a mom, it's like part two of what sexuality is and not just sexuality, but what is uh, creativity from that sacral center through my Yoni, which is like a fucking portal and connection to God. Like we should all be accessing that, right? Our pussy is the entrance to this fucking 3D world. So yeah, yeah exactly. It's incredible. <laughs> incredible. Um, so definitely let's schedule that. And I have one question for you. The last question is yeah, what does yes, yes. rebellious what does rebellious reinvention mean to you? How do you interpret that? Hmm. I think it's the image that comes to me is the version of two, two, two images that we might have of ourselves. And one is a more truthful dream that we have that feels like a little scary. And it feels like me, no, I can't really do that. And then the other one is our current version of ourselves or the image that we have that we should do. And 
I think it's allowing to dissolve this and to actually go for what we're a bit scared of that because truly that's our you know that's our soul whispering hey this is your mission this is why you came here this is why you came here but it's scary to move fully into why we came here um but yet there's to always stay in the zone of comfort never brings us to the full potential of realization of our lives yeah i think the fear is the signal the fear is the signal to lean yeah, in. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Alina, for yes, your time, okay. for thank your you presence. For and, and really, you know, thank you as a fellow woman of the world for your dedication to healing yourself, your dedication to learning this amazing wisdom from so many parts of the earth and to the unbecoming. It's such a, uh, an honor to witness as your friend and I'm so inspired by you. So thank you for that. And you've impacted right, so many so myself much. personally. I love you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're thank welcome. you for having me and for doing this work to inspire people to go into what they're here for, to choose that second version. Yeah, it's my honor. Every week, we have a reoccurring segment. I share my favorite things, tangible products to use, things to walk away with above and beyond the inspiration of these conversations. Think this week's rebellious perspective. What if healing wasn't called healing and it was called the path? I believe that's what healing is, a commitment to the inner work, developing your inner world that changes the trajectory of your life and your lineage. So often in the spiritual world, we refer to healing as this pain that you have to overcome and fix. I would like to remind you that you are not broken. You are perfect and whole and well, and the suffering you experience is just a call to the path of inner and spiritual growth, but you are not broken, my friend. Lighten the load and commit to the path and ascend. Read The Purpose Path by Nicholas Pierce. Nicholas Pierce sits at the unconventional intersection of business, faith, and academia, three things that I love. With engaging stories and candid advice, he shows us how he and other people from various walks of life have asked and answered these five questions in order to start, shape, or even radically change their lives and careers. Inspiring, thought-provoking, and practical. The Purpose Path is an essential book for anyone who seeks the clarity and courage to advantage their authentic life's work every day. These are the five questions it helps you answer. What is success? Who am I? Why am I here? Am I running the right race? And am I running the race well? The Purpose Path is an essential book for anybody who seeks clarity and courage to advance their authentic life's work every day. So go grab that book. Do go treat yourself to work into, intimately with my friend Alina using a blend of soul kinesiology, psych K and holographic healing. Alina holds space to resolve traumas, dissolve negative emotional patterns and redirect life's patterns and alignment with your highest yearnings. She specializes in intimacy and relationship challenges, whether experiencing painful patterns in relationships lack of fulfillment, or difficulties to draw in a loving, supportive partnership. She guides you to lead, to shed the layers holding you back in a stuck loop. I'll leave her all her information here in our show notes. Please get on her mailing list so that you can know when her retreats are and 
Thank you for listening to this episode. From the bottom of my heart, I appreciate it. Please share, subscribe, and let me know what you think in a review. Have an amazing day. 